Think insurance is boring? Think again. Many experts say that insurance is the most powerful industry on the planet. So join us and discover why the Quarters Cast is making insurance super cool. Today, my guest is Ed Matthews, who is the founder and CEO of, <laughs> of Clark Street Capital, which is a real estate investment club. And you can find them online at ClarkST.com. Uh, Ed is a real estate investor himself, who is also a tech startup angel investor. And he also is the host of his own podcast called Real Estate Underground. So I'm happy to welcome Ed Matthews to the Quarters, quarters Cast. Hey, Thanks, Ed. Renee. Thanks. Good to see you. Likewise. So let's start. Yeah. Uh, let's start, first of all, uh, you have a real estate investment club. So maybe you can give us some background on how you've arrived at this point. So uh, just a little clarification. So it's a it's a real estate investment company. Okay. And so we uh, we buy, I mean, like uh, informally, we buy uh, crappy apartment buildings from landlords who aren't very good at their jobs. Okay. And then we make them those buildings clean and safe and upgrade them and make them where uh, people are proud to live there and hopefully they stay for a long time. And, you know, we get, uh, we get to build a, a profitable business with each building we buy. Okay. Excellent. How long have you been doing that? Uh, let's see. So my first property we bought in 2000, February of 2011. Okay. So 12, almost 13 years. All right. And Seems longer, but that's about it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, with ups and downs, like it's, it's been over right. the last decade or so. And where exactly are you? Indeed. Looking? Yeah. I know you're on. So the- we're based at, sorry. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in Connecticut. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So how does someone go about, um, signing up for your group? Cause I've looked at these before and they're, it's a little tricky and I know there's minimums and all that. So if I landed on your site, how would, uh, how would I go about signing up for your club or. So it, I, I, I dislike this answer, but it's, it's reality. And it, it, the answer is it depends. Uh, so if they are an accredited investor and uh, we have a project, they can invest in any project we have or a fund um, or anything like that. Uh, if they are, if they are not accredited, and I'll define that in a moment. Um, if they're not accredited, uh, then uh, they can, they may be able to participate in some of our projects. Um, so there are two types, primarily two types of uh, real estate syndication type projects that the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission pays attention to. And uh, the first is 506B uh, reg. Um, and so that one allows accredited and what are called sophisticated investors uh, to invest. And we can have up to, I believe it's 34, Four, no, actually 35 uh, non-accredited, sophisticated investors. So an accredited investor, uh, there's a lot of criteria, but the primary ones are uh, either an individual or a couple who has a million dollars in net worth, uh, an individual who makes $200,000 a year for the previous two years and has the expectation they're going to make it again this year, um, and a couple uh, whose combined income is three hundred thousand again for the last two years, or and also with the expectation that they're going to do the same this year. Okay, all right. Um, 
And so the logic there is just to break it down. Logic is there that the SEC is counting on the fact that if you make a lot of money or you're worth a lot of money, you have the level of sophistication to be able to uh, and experience to be able to evaluate whether or not uh, a real estate deal like the ones we work on is a good deal for you. Right. Okay. Which well, that's mostly. Let me, well, okay. I just want to jump in there because the qualifications yeah. seem to be about income. Yet I do know there's a lot of people who make that, who are not that sophisticated with financial products and True. real estate. You're looking so, at yeah. So when somebody comes to you like that and they're qualified to be accredited, yet you can yeah. tell they're not, not necessarily sophisticated. How do you go about right. dealing with a client like that? So, uh, It'll be one of a couple of things. One, they may they just may flat out not be a good fit for us, okay. and um, and so then it's uh, you know they're better off working um, with a uh, someone they know and a, a local you know like a local investor where they could do a joint um, venture, which is a lot less rigorous in terms of the requirements that the government puts on. Folks, you know, it's it's basically like Renee. You and I agree that we're going to buy a five hundred thousand dollar apartment building. I'm going to put in, you know, and it requires a, a two hundred thousand dollar down payment just to make math simple. So I'm going to put in a hundred grand, and you're going to put in a hundred grand, and we're going to together manage that building. You're going to have certain responsibilities. I'm going to have certain responsibilities. That and there's a contract that manages that whole interaction, right? Um, that is how a joint venture works. And that's typically how a lot of folks who are not accredited, that's how they acquire property. Um, and uh, and then they either manage it themselves or they have a partner who manages it or they hire another firm to manage on their behalf. Okay, so because you're um, handle 406B, can you describe, because um, I'm not completely familiar with how that works, but that's what how your business is structured. Is that correct? Yeah. With the five, yeah. uh, so we have done it, it it's 506 b and oh, I'm it's, sorry <laughs> um, we've done uh, that's okay that's all right it's a lot of a lot of acronyms <laughs> and numbers I'm throwing at you um and I'm sure you could do the same thing if we start talking insurance and I won't know what you're talking about so that's okay uh so the you know the fact is is that there is um so there's 506 b which is sophisticated and accredited 506 c which is where we're moving. Um, and, and the reason being is that it's, it's, uh, it's a little more rigorous to determine the financial wherewithal of the partners that we're working with. But I think, you know, from a risk management perspective, uh, it's a lot safer, both for the investor, uh, as well as for, you know, our company. Um, mainly because there's a, you know, it allows us to be, more open in terms of like advertising, for instance, and talking publicly about our projects and things like that. Whereas with a 506B, I'm not allowed to talk about a project, right? I can talk about our company and what we've done and our track record. And if you as an investor want to learn more, then we can um, have a conversation. And then we have to actually build a documented relationship if we don't already have one. Uh, so that if the SEC comes along and says, hey, we want to audit your 506B projects, um, I can show them as the principal here, um, I can show them a track record of, you know, that Renee and I have been friends for, you know, three years. And here's all the emails we've shared. And here's the text messages. And here's a picture of Renee at my daughter's confirmation. And here's a picture of me at, 
uh, Renee's uh, son's graduation and all that. Right. So we have to prove we're friends. Right. Um, and, uh, so it's, you know, the other term it's, it's usually referred to as as friends and family. Right. So we've got to be either friends or related and I need to be able to prove it as the principal. Okay. Well, these are important distinctions because I think a lot of people, like I was not aware of that. And I know some people who invest in real estate and, and that's not the nuance they get in, they get into. Um, so, uh, no, I appreciate you you doing that. So I asked. Yeah. I'm a little geeky when it comes to this stuff. So that's good. I, I like that. And, but I'm kind of disappointed because I was going to ask you about your projects. You, you mentioned you had several of them and I wanted you to des- describe them. So now you can't because you're not. I can talk about past projects. No, that's fine. Okay, great. It's, it's, yeah, no, that's fine. So typically what we work on is, uh, uh, is a term called value added. And it, it's the, it, basically I'm buying buildings that have not been managed well, uh, either financially or physically. And uh, the owner has decided to sell for whatever reason, right? And so manage or, or deferred management or, you know, problematic management can be anything from, uh, you know, not having enough reserves uh, in the, in the, uh, in the building, you know, cash reserves to manage when stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't done a good job of raising rents along with the market. Um, and then physical issues can be things like, uh, you know, lack of maintenance, right? Things that are broken that have been left broken for a lot of time, you know, uh, uh, run down, uh, common areas, run down exteriors, run down apartment units, um, and, uh, you know, mechanicals like, like the HVAC systems, you know, the heating and cooling, uh, plumbing, electrical, you know, and so what we do is we, um, will acquire a property at a pretty good discount to the market. Uh, we will then put in, you know, our construction crews will then go in and, you know, first pass is clean and safe. So that means we fix all the electrical, all of the heating and cooling problems, all of the plumbing problems, you know, things where if they really went bad, somebody could get hurt, right? So we fix all that stuff immediately. Um, and then we upgrade the common areas, you know, the hallways and stairs and, and exterior, you know, where everybody enjoys it um, so that the residents see that there's a new sheriff in town and that we're actually going to take good care of this building. And then, um, you know, with regard to the units, you know, part of our clean and safe pass is we're fixing everything in each of the apartment units um, so that if you have a faucet, you know, if a resident has a faucet that's been not working well for a long time, uh, you know, we'll give them a brand new faucet, you know, and if there's damage in the apartment, we'll fix it. And, um, you know, then as units come open, as people move, right, which, you know, happens, uh, then we'll go in and, and rehab the unit where we will do, you know, brand new kitchens, brand new bathrooms, brand new flooring, paint everything, new lighting fixtures, basically new everything, right? Right. And we do that for two reasons. One is, um, well, three really. One, I like sleeping well at night and knowing that I'm doing right by the residents that live in our buildings is one of the ways that I, I actually do close my eyes with a clear conscience. Uh, two, it is the opportunity for uh, people to, or, you know, for us to raise the rent a little bit and make the building a little more profitable. Uh, and three, um, people tend to stay in a well-appointed, well-kept, well-managed building for a really long time. And that also makes our buildings more profitable because then I don't have to pay a realtor, for instance, to lease out a new unit because somebody's already living there. So I, 
you know, instead of having to do that once or twice, you know, uh, or uh, once every year or two, um, you know, our residents tend to stay for just about just short of four years. So that's good. So it makes our, our buildings a lot more profitable. Yes. And so what is the annual return of somebody signed up today? What's, what's an average? So the, it depends on the building. Um, because the, you know, basically you're making your profits, uh, when you buy. And the, what I mean by that is if, if we buy a building for a really fair price, uh, then that gives us a lot of opportunity to upgrade the building, both, uh, you know, physically as well as financially. Uh, and then, you know, over time, as rents increase and expenses hopefully drop, uh, the, you know, the building becomes a lot more valuable, right? So, you know, you, know, you look at, like you look at um, the stock market over the last 50 years versus the, you know, uh, multifamily real estate, right, in particular. So uh, depending on the source, but generally, you know, the stock market for the last 50 years has returned somewhere in the ballpark of seven and a half percent year over year. Some are up, some are down, but on average about seven and a half percent. Uh, multifamily uh, as an asset class is delivered just over nine and a half percent. It's like 9.6. So, you know, it's a little bit better um, in terms of predictable returns. Uh, I would submit that the, you know, the other part of it, the, the, the reason that I am so focused on real estate is that there's no, you know, I've, I'm off the stock market roller coaster, right? I don't care if the Dow Jones went up or down today. Uh-huh. Um, what I care about is that, uh, you know, the buildings are being run well and uh, our residents are doing well and uh, that they're paying their bills on time. Right. Right. An entirely exactly. different model. I know with uh, some of the people that I know who invest in real estate, it seems to be critical that you try and catch a property that needs fixing up before it hits the MLS. So do you have a whole system yes. or a software that uh, or maybe uh, like uh, uh, bird dogs, I think they call them, um, to to yep. bring those properties to you. So yes, to all of those. Uh, so the, the, I, I, you know, I come from the the school of uh, really good deals are found and created, um, not in, found in terms of off market, not found on the MLS. Right? You can find deals on the MLS or you know the commercial equivalents of that, but uh, but it's a lot harder, and so. We have, um, you know, people ask me, what business am I in? Right. And, you know, most people will say, well, you know, of course you're in the real estate business. And yeah, that's true, but I'm really in the marketing business. Right. And so we are marketing to, um, a handful of constituencies every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Um, and those are uh, wholesalers. So those are the bird dogs you were talking about, right? Uh, they will find a project that meets our criteria, right? I give them a what's called a, in my world a buy box, which is you know anything that fits in this box will buy. Anything outside of the box, we won't buy, right? Um, and it's things like number of units, uh, location, uh, potential for returns. You know, it's there's about 13 different criteria we measure, but and I won't I don't have to go into those, but you know basically we we sift those through and make sure they fit. So there's wholesalers that we market to and you know what we're doing with them is we're marketing digitally, so that's text messages, emails, uh mostly and social media where we're talking about 
uh, best practices and what it's like to work with us and past projects that we've done that have worked out really well for the wholesalers. Uh, and, you know, because they make their money on on the transaction as well. And we want that, right? Because if they make money and we make money, then they'll bring us more deals, right? right. That's the whole idea. And so we work with wholesalers. Uh, we work with brokers and agents, uh, you know, real estate agents. Mm-hmm. And the idea there is the uh, the pocket listings. So there are, you know, usually there are, if you're a realtor, Renee, right? Mm-hmm. You have clients who want to sell. Some of those clients don't want to put the property on the market publicly because they don't want their tenants to their residents to, you know, get upset or concerned that, you know, some other person's going to come in and, and make their life not as good as it is right now. Right. And so uh, a lot of property owners uh, will will hand a realtor or a broker a um, what's called a pocket listing, which is basically you get to you can keep it in your back pocket. Everybody, you know, don't don't broadcast it to the world. But if you have, you know, a dozen or two dozen investors, people like me who are serious about uh, buying properties that look like mine, uh, you can show it to them and hopefully one of them will buy it. Right. Okay. And so that's a pocket listing. So we market to our brokers in terms of just making sure they, they're aware that we're out here and we love to pay commissions and uh, that, you know, we we can close very quickly. We're well capitalized. And, you know, here are all the projects where, uh, you know, brokers have have done very well working with with us. Um, and then the last one. So we actually let me before I go there. So brokers and agents, that's also digital marketing. Right. So that's emails, text messages. Um, and I buy a whole bunch of lunches and coffee for folks that are willing to give me you know, half an hour to an hour of their time to talk about the, the business, right? Um, and then uh, building owners uh, is mostly direct mail. So we will do letters, postcards, uh, basically saying, hey, save the commission. You know, we'll buy direct from you. And here are you know, generally the terms that we operate under. And if that's interesting to you, then let's have a conversation and see if there's a good fit. And so sometimes there is and sometimes there isn't. So we're constantly marketing to those folks. Um the the way that we do that is I work with uh, we've built a team here of really amazing virtual assistants and so we use technology which I can talk about in a minute um, as well as our process and procedures and uh, the folks that live in the Philippines who do all of our social media and web and direct digital marketing and direct mail and cold calling and all that other stuff wow and so uh, it's amazing. Yeah, they're they're awesome, and um, I uh, I'm a huge fan of virtual consult, of virtual assistants, especially the folks that we work with in the Philippines. All right, yeah, I want to get to that because I think that might actually help a lot of insurance agents as well. But I want to ask you a couple sure. Of questions. Sure, it will. Um, do you um, work with uh, mortgage originators and CPAs? Yes. Okay, and uh, yeah. In terms of acquisitions or in terms of yes. running the business? Uh, both? Sure, both. Yeah. Okay. So with accountants, lawyers, and mortgage um, brokers, originators, whatever, whatever label you want to put on them, uh, occasionally they get deals, right? Because they have a client who uh, either can't finance something and decides to sell or uh, wants to take advantage of a tax opportunity and decides to sell a, a property or they're in trouble, right? They're, you know, they're teetering on the edge of, of some sort of level of bankruptcy or insolvency and they need to sell. 
And so, you know, we've cultivated relationships in all candor. I don't do it as much as we used to do it. Uh, but, but I, and I probably should. So thank you for asking that question. I'm <laughs> going to talk to my team about that. Okay. Um, but the, you know, typically what we want to do is be a problem solver for those people, for those professionals. Right. And so if you have a client that's stuck, uh, you know, there's a pretty good chance that we can figure out some way, sometimes creatively, but some way to, to relieve the person who has that problem, you know, the, the property owner has a problem, you know, we can come up with a way so that they win and we win. Okay. Um, okay. And so, yeah, I, I take referrals all the time. Excellent. Okay. Um, well, all right. Gladly. Sorry. A, a lot of this sounds very familiar in, in insurance. Uh, agents, sure. managers, and carriers all tell their insurance agents to do this kind of uh, marketing. Right. So on right. average, how many a day or a week do you get uh, coming to you from all these efforts? From leads? Yes, leads, yeah. So so we send, in the state of Connecticut, there are 1,208 properties that we want to buy someday, right? Um, so we are marketing to uh, each and every one of those uh, once a month. So they get a letter um, from us, and then they get a follow-on um, uh, phone call from us, either cold call or voicemail drop. Uh, so we're touching them at least twice a month, at least. Uh, on the broker and... Uh, and, um, wholesaling side, uh, we're touching them. Gosh, we probably touch them twice a month. And the folks that we really work with a lot, we touch them once a week. And in most cases, it's me calling them just to check in and see how they're doing or to update them on a project that we're working on together or something. Um, from, from a deal perspective, uh, it's, it's slowed up a little, uh, quite a bit, uh, in terms of the wholesalers and brokers. Not a lot of people are selling right now. Uh, I think they're kind of waiting for the, they either got a really good rate, you know, back uh, in 2019, 2021, you know, somewhere in there and they're enjoying a three to 4% rate and they don't want to give that up, right. um, which I understand. And uh, so, because, you know, if they sell, then they're going to have to go buy something else most likely. And that, that will be at a, you know, six, seven, 8% rate. And that's not as good. Um, so, right. So more in that case is not as good. Um, and so they, uh, they want to, uh, hold on to the property. So we see a lot of that, uh, the ones that I'm starting to see more and more of, um, are the, the folks that, uh, have a, what's called an adjustable rate mortgage. In other words, it reprices every periodically over the course of a loan, um, you know, three, five, seven, 10 years. And if they're coming up for for that reprice and their original rate was, you know, 4% and now they're being quoted 7%, uh, some of those buildings won't financially be able to operate, right? They'll, they'll run in a deficit and that's not what we're doing here. Um, so then, you know, it comes down to, in those cases, that's where the direct mail comes in. And, you know, we get phone calls from or emails or, or text messages from building owners who are kind of staring down the barrel of that gun and have decided that they need to, to cut bait and sell the property. Um, so I, I'd say we probably see from the wholesalers two, maybe three deals a week. Um, from brokers, uh, we see three to five a week um, in the markets that we're active in. Uh, not all of them pencil out, uh, you know, and then um, as far as building owners, 
uh, I would say we probably see three or four, maybe five a month on a good month. Um, so it's not a ton. And, you know, that's just Connecticut. We're now expanding our business into the Carolinas and, and Kentucky. Uh, and uh, we're just cranking that up now. So I don't have those numbers yet. Okay. Well, this, I find this very interesting because clearly you have a very clear vision of what your brand is and what you do. And I, I can see the correlation between an individual insurance agent and what you do. And, and cause I'm kind Without of, a doubt. so, and I'm kind of in that space right now. I'm kind of new to insurance, but I'm, it's the whole industry mm-hmm. sort of captured my, my imagination. I can see a long future for me. And so, um, yeah, great. With all your efforts, you know, how does, I want to, how does it come together? Like if, if you were sitting down, we were talking about marketing, what would be some of the things that you would say, it, like step by step that you would want to see me work on to get to the point where you are? <laughs> so I, I think a very well-defined market and, and uh, customer um, are really important. Uh, marketing people talk about avatars. And so you want to know you know, who your customer is as best as possibly can, as you can, right? You know, you want to know where they live, where they hang out, what their net worth is, what kind of cars they drive, uh, how they spend their downtime, you know, what they tend to do for a living, uh, all of that. You want to know as much about them demographically as humanly possible, because the better you understand your customer, the easier it is to market to them, right? And then what, so I've always been taught, um, you know, way back when I was taught by this uh, gentleman, Gabe D'Annunzio, about concentric circle marketing. And so the concept is start very small, concentrate your resources, and uh, in a well-defined market targeting a well-defined customer, right? And so that way, the reason I know there's 1,208 buildings in the state of Connecticut is because we've researched the thousands of buildings that are out there and we know exactly what we're looking for. And there are 1,200 of them that meet our criteria, right? And I'm not interested in anything else. And so, you know, we market, you know, it started off as we would market in Middlesex County, which is the county I live in. And then we would expand to adjacent counties. And then eventually we got to the point where we were marketing to the entire state of targeting those 1,208 uh, properties. What concentric circle marketing allows you to do is focus your resources, which are typically finite, right? I mean, you only have so many marketing you know, dollars to spend. So it's better and more effective to spend them on a, in a small, well-defined market and generate deals within that small market for those customers you've identified. And then using the revenue from that to grow and, you know, reach out to a, a large, a little bit larger uh, uh, geography or, or demographic or however you're, you're segmenting your, your customers. Um, and as you get more deals, grow your book a little more, right? And, and market a little bit bigger, right? Um, because, you know, the human, the human attention span uh, used to be back in the 50s was about 20 minutes, um, with the advent of the internet and iPhones and, and, uh, um, and other similar devices, uh, it's about seven seconds, yeah. right? So what you have to do in order to get someone's attention as a marketer, whether you're an insurance uh, professional or a real estate professional or someone else, 
um, you need to touch them mi a minimum of seven times. And so what that means when I talk about touching, I'm talking about phone calls. I'm talking about direct mail. I'm talking about emails, text messages, uh, speaking engagements where you're speaking in front of a, you know, a local uh, organization, you know, the Lions or Rotary Club or whatever, um, doing online webinars, uh, being out um, and available on social media, right? So, you know, if my customers, if I know my customers uh, potentially are on Facebook and not LinkedIn, I'm ignoring LinkedIn and I'm I'm going all in on Facebook and then I'm figuring out which groups they they tend to to be active in, right, on Facebook. And then I become active in those and I add value and build up a reputation and make friends. And then those friends eventually, you know, some of them will become customers, right? And so um, the more you can concentrate your marketing resources, the more effective you will be. Um, trying to remember the gentleman's name, uh, uh, Charlie Munger uh, used to talk about his dream 100, right? And so what he would talk about is, uh, he, you know, there, he was in the advertising business long, long, long time ago. And what he would do is he didn't, he didn't call all of the magazines, uh, that were out there that could potentially advertise, uh, you know, or, or all the customers that could potentially advertise in his magazine. Um, he only called the top 100 customers and he touched them and touched them and touched them and added value and created awareness. And then he eventually became friends with some of them. And then he built a level of trust with those friends and eventually he earned the right to do business with those friends, right? Insurance works the same way. So does real estate. So do a lot of, you know, different industries. You've got, it's, it's a, it's a basic four step process. You got to make sure people know you exist. That's awareness, right? You've got to, you know, serve them and become friends. I mean, actual friends, right? And, you know, build relationships because people like to do business with people they like, right? And then over the course of time, and that time can be days, weeks, months, years, uh, you build a relationship and a level of trust so that if Renee, my friend, my new friend Renee tells me, hey, I'd like to take a look at your, your policies. I think you may be overpaying or you may not be managing your risk appropriately. If I trust Renee, I'll say yes. If I don't trust Renee, I'll say not yet, right? And th that all that means is that I, you know, Renee hasn't earned the right to 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 my business yet, but someday she probably will because we're friends, right? right? right. Um, or I'm very happy with the you know the person that I'm already working with, um, and then eventually, you know, that trust builds to the point where, uh, you know, we do the we earn the right to do business with each other. Excellent, right? I love it's that. Simple. Yeah, this is that's great information, and we're running out of time here. So, just one more question: sure. What is your favorite part of this business? What, what's the favorite part? Your most favorite part of what you do? Wow, that's a great question because I like a lot of it. Um, <laughs> I like the look on a resident's face when we've turned a building and it's gone from not so nice to really nice, and they can still afford to live there, and we treat them fairly and with respect. Uh, and, um, you know, they, uh, I rarely hear thank you, but you can tell that, you know, these folks appreciate the fact that, you know, we're doing the, we're doing right by them. And that really gets me excited. Oh, that's excellent. I love that, Ed. Good for you. Great job. So thank Thanks. you very much. I've, I've enjoyed speaking with you. So likewise, likewise. Terrific. Well, I, I, um, Wish you continued success, and I will uh, let you know when this is out, and I'm happy to promote it everywhere I can. 
Okay, thank you. I appreciate all right. that. All right, Ed. All right. Thanks for taking Take care. Right. You too. Bye bye. Right, be well. Bye.